0: Isn't it intriguing that the middle letter of the entire Torah is part of a word that describes snakes, the antithesis of anything holy? Well, today we're going to see what Rashi teaches us about snakes and scorpions, worms and centipedes, and the lessons that we can learn from that in terms of overcoming and converting the negative in our lives to be positive. And that's all based on a passage that says, Kol anything that walks on its belly, but, Kol anything that walks on four legs, and that which has many, many legs, so he's Rashi Matik, we're going to look at Rashi as he analyzes each segment of that Apostolic, starting first, in Eresham Debra Maschil, he quotes the words, Hoylech the being, the creature that crawls along its belly. And his Mefarash explains, which creature? Is that Zen Nochosh? It's a snake. And then he says, that word Gochon means shachia, something which bends down, Because shoch because the nature of the snake is that it kind of bends down and then slithers along. So, the fact that Rashi has to tell us that we're referring over here to a snake is moving in Pashos. That makes sense. Because there ain't or Oret in Torah. The only place in the whole Torah where where in regards to some kind of a creepy crawling, we find an expression that is similar to Gochen is by Mnuch in Pashas Bereshis is With a description of the curse of the snake right in the first parish of the Torah, where Deibesha tells the snake, You will walk on your gochon, which applies on your belly. From that, we can extrapolate over here when it talks about that creature that slithers along on its belly. You must be referring to a snake. We get that, and we understand why Rashi has to draw our attention to it. What we don't understand is. We need to already understand the next part of what Rashi explained, which is, <speaking in Hebrew> that what is the expression? Gochan, it means shechia, to bend down. <speaking in Hebrew> which implies that a snake kind of bends down and then slithers on its stomach. Now, we already know. <speaking in Hebrew> We've already mentioned that in the first parasha of the first book of the Torah, we were already told that the snake slithers on its belly. And not only that, Rashi doesn't have to even feel the need to explain to us what, what it means to slid on its belly. All he tells us is that the snake used to have legs and part of the curse is that its legs were amputated. So it's it doesn't make sense. Surely, if Rashi felt the need to explain what Gochein means, then he should have explained it. The very first time we encountered it in, in the Torah, which is in Parashat Barashas. How could he possibly leave it unstated in Parashat and depend on the fact that he is going to explain it all the way here in Parashat Strange, right? Okay. So you might want to suggest an answer. That the reason Rashi doesn't explain what Gechoynch slithering on the belly means in Pasha's Boratis is Val de von is me'i love, because it's actually self-explanatory. And there are two possible ways that it would be self-explanatory. And if an Sveyefanim. One possibility is Aleph. Ephem Pasuk, there's an earlier Pasuk that says V'sheim anora, asheni gichoin, that the second of the four rivers described that flow out of Gan Eden. The second one is called Gichon. That's a Pasuk that's before the curse of the snake. There already Taitz Rashi Gichon. Rashi explains what does Gichon mean? Shal ho- shal vahoyme. It was a river that rushed with a great roar. That was very, very loud, this thundering roar of this river. And he says it's It's a similar expression to when a, an ox gores another animal, where, where you can imagine there's a lot of chaos and noise associated with the ox goring the animal so if Rashi has already explained means making a noise well then we could explain that when the snake slithers on the ground actually the word is related to the sound that it makes because the snake slithers on the ground Rashi has already told us it used to have legs and those legs have been taken away so then you could say that movement along the ground is actually called the movement is called Gochein, because as the Everen Ezra quotes, although he doesn't accept this as the final explanation, that it actually, rep- the word Gochain actually represents the sound that the snake makes as it slithers along. And So that would be possibly a good explanation why Rashi does not have to explain in Pasha's B'Resh what Gokhoincha means because he's relying on the fact that he's already told us that the river Gokhoin implies a certain sound and that is the sound now uh, at least in smaller measure of the snake on the ground. That's one possibility. Or another possibility, Be' is Gokhoin, may I am actually, maybe the word Gokhoin is translated as With the targum touched. As the Targum Unkla says, "Al means "Al You'll go on your stomach, or your chest, as the Ebenezer says. And Rashi, if it does mean if means a belly or a chest, Rashi doesn't have to explain it. Because you'd say, well, it's a word which even a child is familiar with. In the same way as he'd be familiar with the word belly or the word chest. So there are two possible explanations we might want to offer as to why Rashi did not explain the interpretation of Al-Gecho'en Choyim Parshas The only thing is, what well, if it's that obvious, then the question goes the other way. Well, we're choosing that either Ghoincha means the noise that it makes as the snake slithers, or Gon is a clearly well-known word that means belly. If those things are true, why is Rashi giving a different explanation here in Shemini? So as do is the preach from Helich alkochen, nitviba al-Gochin Chotrich v de Rab uh um Ibn Ezra. Why is Rashi choosing neither explanation, not the sound and not the belly, but rather he's translating Gokhoin to mean to bend down. Well, you already have an explanation, surely. Why are you giving a different one? So either way, it doesn't make sense. Either Rashi should have explained in Bereshis that Gokhoin means to bend down and slither, or here he should have gone with one of the two which appear to be more obvious explanations. Before we can get into that, let's look at the next comment that Rashi makes. Then is Rashi in the same interpretation or in the se- same section it says, kol Rashi, then after saying al he quotes the words kol which actually belong before al On his he explains that what that means is, ha-shil that includes worms, doime, things that are similar to worms, which in turn are similar to snakes. So now he's no move on that, also doesn't make sense. Yes, of course we know Any anytime that the Torah says all it's coming to include other things that are not clearly stated in the posok. We get that. But where in the simple understanding of this pasuk, do we have any evidence to suggest that Kol comes to include two things. Aleph Firstly, to include worms, which are similar to snakes and then beyond that to also include other creatures which are similar to worms. Where's the double implication in the Pasuk? And based the Kashe the truth is an even stronger question because the is doin' um gemora. This interpretation of how you understand what other things are included in the broader category of snakes, that's quoted both in the Medras kehanim and in the gemora. Now the lashon from Rashi as a dome le dome, the fact that Rashi says it comes to include things which are similar to the things that are similar to a snake, that states in Torahs kehanim, that's the language used by the Medrash Torahs kehanim. But is the lashon as le shilshul. But the concept of using a worm as an example, that comes from the Gemara, is that the girsa from Gemara came and learned on b'deicha k'kol ponim askel is marb belays ein zach. So the perspective of the Gemara is that call, everything that walks or moves on its belly includes one other category besides snakes namely worms anything which is in the worm family in other words the worm would be an example of the genus that is included in this extra word kol. Um, and that would include a whole lot of different creatures including obviously the most obvious is the worm itself So that's that's fine. But if you look from the perspective of the Medrash Teres which says, and things that are similar to those things that are similar to the snake, that implies that there are two different layers or two different types of species. First there's the worm. And all the various worms that are similar to snakes. And then, then there are other things. There are other creatures that have nothing in common with the snake, but they're, but somehow they have a, a, something in common with the worms. And the worm in turn is only similar to a snake. So the Gemara would be saying snakes and anything that's in the worm family. The Medrash would be saying snakes and worms. And other things that are similar to worms that are not exactly similar to snakes. You can see here that Rashi is going in the in the view of the Torahs koihanim, which broadens the net of how many different creatures are included in this expression called and out the gemara Question is why? And thirdly, Gimel Favos, it's from Pasar Kol if Rashi's intention over here is to explain that the word Kol comes to include other species besides the obvious, which is the snake. Why does he also include the word Hoylech in the headline? The from All he's explaining is the significance of the word Kol. mehr Furthermore, Gleich very shortly after this, in a very similar conversation, but when Rashi wants to describe what is included in things that walk on four legs, there word call. There he only quotes the word kol, and it comes to include the, the various creatures that are included, the schipusis, which is some kind of a beetle. Yet over here, here Rashi doesn't just say the word call. So it's it doesn't add up. In the, in the next explanation, he's going to just be satisfied to use the word call in the headline, why not here? And the last question on this section, Then Rashi, sorry, not the last question, this is the next section. Then, then Rashi quotes the part of the Pasuk that says, All creatures that walk on four legs, He says, which creature walks on four legs, that is... As scorpion, it's the only creature that walks only on four legs out of all the shiratzim, the, the creepies. On the is a and then he quotes the word kol. And as before it. she explains Then it comes to include various other beetles and things that are similar to those beetles. Here we'll have similar questions to what we've just asked. Allah first of all, same question we had before from Vanan and Rashi from as the Where in the Pshat is there an indication that the word kol includes not just something else in addition to a scorpion, but even something that is then similar to those additional beetles that are similar to the scorpions. Allah v is the beetle itself, and basatoimelado, that which is similar to it. Where does Rashi see that in the Pshat? And base, Favos Kleibtes Rashi Tigus von Turas Kehani Munit von again the question why does Rashi take the version presented in the Medrash Turas and not the version in the Gemara? Ves Hadoimelhipus, that which is similar to the beat? Okay, let's look at the next section that Rashi is going to interpret. The next thing Rashi talks about is the creature with many legs. And as before, she explains, this is a centipede. It's a being that has legs that go from its head to its tail on either side of its body. It's called a centipede. And that is how Rashi concludes his interpretation of the various things that are listed in this possek. Now, the fact that Rashi has to give us so much detail, as noddles, the fact that he has to tell us it's, got, it's this long creature that has legs on all sides, from top to bottom, and it's called a centipede, and he doesn't just simply say it is a noddle, which in French is called a centipede. We can understand why Rashi has to get into that level of detail because Rashi and Rashi wants to just ensure that we have clarity because there are many insects that have many legs. So how do you know that out of all the various creatures that have many legs that the Parsuk over here is specifically describing a centipede? So therefore, the Rebbe of Rashi explains, as those Asheretz for his entire goof hot raclaim. Because what's unique about the centipede is that its entire body has legs. It's not only that it has many legs, but every part of its body may roisha adds a novoi, from top to tail, on on either side, on der farva koyrin, roofmanem, al shemi ribi haraglaim. That's why you call him centipede, which means me haraglaim, it's a French word. It's right, centi is, is uh, hundred, and Peter's feet. And Rashi has to explain that to us that this is the creature the Torah is referring to when it describes the many-legged insect that we get. What we don't understand is when he was talking about and he explained that the coal comes to include other things. When he said he said the coal comes to ex- include other things. Here, yeah, when it says doesn't translate the word call and tell us what it comes to include. He should have told us that that includes other insects which are similar to the centipede. Other creatures that are similar to those creatures that are similar to the centipede, as he did with the snake and the scorpion. And the truth is, it's an even more surprising Thought, question, when you consider that Sai and Toroske Hanem or Sai in Gemara, whether it be in the Mendes Toroske Hanem Marbe the Gemara Cholin, they do interpret that the word Kol over here does come to include other species. Why does Rashi ignore that? Rashi just quoted the Torah's Kohanim on the call of the two other scenarios in the posuk and not the third time. That's completely inconsistent. Why does Rashi do that? So to be or bechol to explain all of this, we need to understand as follows. We already mentioned the fact that the Torah chose to describe the snake specifically with the word gochon, which is a unique term that only appears in the Torah only in the context of a snake makes it pretty obvious that the creature we're describing must be a snake because it's the only creature in the whole Tanakh that has the word gachin associated with it and likewise the creature that walks on four is an Akrob because the only creature that walks on only four legs out of all the insects is a scorpion so it's pretty obvious that that is the Scorpion. So the obvious question is, well, if we know you're describing a snake and we know you're describing a scorpion, why call it the creature that crawls on its belly and the creature that walks on all fours? Why doesn't the Torah just say, the snake and the scorpion? Why give us what appears to be a, a more flowery description instead of just a clear definition? The fact that it calls, calls the centipede a marberaglaim creature with many legs instead of using the word noddle, that's easy to explain. Because the word noddle actually is not a scriptural term. It doesn't appear in Tanakh. That is a word that is introduced for the first time in Torah Shabalpeh, either in the Medrash or in the Mishnah and the fact that something is from is Kohanim, so Rashi quotes it often so that's where we get the word from but it's certainly not a Tanakh word so there's no argument to say the Torah should have used the word because it's not a Torah word but the word and the word Akrav well, those are words that appear many times not only in Tanakh even in the Chumash itself why didn't the Torah just use those words why give us such um Abstract terms. And therefore Rashi says, it's obviously telling us, Rashi is telling us, the Torah wants us to know, this specific description of the snake is not describing the snake as a creature, but rather not, the Torah is actually describing any creature that also slithers on its belly. So that implies that the word "call," which is so inclusive, crawls on its belly, must refer to any kind of sherets that crawls on its belly which includes naturally worms, the most obvious thing that you'd know walks or moves in a similar way to a snake. And the same logic would apply that yes, we're describing a scorpion when we say everything that walks on four, but it's anything else that also walks on four. That's why the Torah did not use the words which are more generic, snake and scorpion because then if it would be it would only be anything that is in the species of snake and anything that is in the species of scorpion or worse if you believe that the Torah wanted to include other creatures that are similar to the snake and scorpion we wouldn't know how to define what constitutes similar because we wouldn't have that information or in Are they similar because they also walk either on their belly or on four legs or because of other things? Maybe it's because it has a forked tongue or maybe because it's a reptile or maybe because it's venomous. That's why clearly Rashi could not explain that over here the word gochoy means because the way it's, as it slithers kind of pushes air and makes a sound which would be similar to how Rashi explained the word which is quite similar, based on the sound it produces. Because we know that here, yeah, the Torah wants to broaden the scope of what is included in We actually don't have an example of another Sheretz that makes the same kind of sound as it slithers through the grass as the snake does. So Rashi couldn't have used that interpretation, and he has to go with this interpretation, which we'll still talk about. Actually, for the same reason Rashi can't explain over here that the meaning of the word Gochon is, like Uncle says, that it means on its stomach. Because that would produce a question if the interpretation of Gochon means on its stomach, then we'd ask if nochosh, we'd ask the question why then would the Torah use the expression Gokoin, which is so unique to a snake and therefore immediately links us to the snake? But as we've mentioned, the word is a unique word used only in the context of a snake. And then you'd have to use the word kol "kohlhola" to try and expand the definition out to include other things as well. They actually could have just said it in a much simpler way. Don't focus in on the snake and then try and broaden out. Just use an expression that broadens out in the first place from sug, to include anything that is in the same category Torah could have said anything that walks on its stomach that moves on its stomach, they didn't have to use the word "gokhoin, which we have to then interpret to mean a stomach so therefore Rashi says there's no alternative but says gochen is That gochen must be something which is absolutely unique only to a snake. And that's not movement on its belly, because that's not absolutely unique to a snake. And the Far Tight therefore Rashi explains, gochen actually means to bend down. that it is a creature that bends down and then slithers, so to speak. On its stomach. It's basically that the snake originally starts kind of bent over, but not yet down on its stomach. Now, spetter is a new and then it's kind of slides down onto its stomach and goes. So you can probably picture those snakes that stand up and then it bends its head down and then kind of moves onto the ground and continues moving. In fact, if you watch how snakes move, it's very much how they move. Whereas a worm, for example, doesn't at any point stand up and then put its head down and start slithering. It's already flat on the ground to start with. So that's what Rashi is reading in the Pasuk. We need to know that's what's, what's unique about the snake is Gohoin, that it bends its head down and then starts slithering. And there are other similar things that are always already down on the ground that slither as well. In a similar way, when it describes the scorpion as something which walks on four legs, nor an arba The scorpion is the only sheretz that really walks on four legs. Whereas all these other beetles and things, which are included in the broader definition of the word koil, they actually have more than four legs, but their front legs very often don't really, use, they don't really use them for walking. So I think maybe a great example of this would be a praying mantis, you know, where it's, its front two legs don't really touch the ground much. That's why when Rashi wants to describe what's going on over here, he doesn't just say kol when he's describing the snake. He says, anything that moves. Because Rashi wants us to know that the Different creatures that are included in this description will be linked to the snake in what way? In the halicha, in the movement. So for a snake, movement is the second. Movement on the ground is the second stage. First it's got to bend its head down. What's going to be similar between the snake and the other creatures included in this definition is once it's already at the movement point, when it's slithering on the ground, that's when it will be similar to the other things like the worms. Right? once it's already flopped down onto its belly, is is by But the idea of kind of bending itself down in order to move doesn't exist with any of these other creatures. Now Now that we know that Rashi is understanding, Gochoin is a description of the snake's unique movement. And then from there, Hoylech, the movement, how how the snake actually slithers around, that's what makes it similar to other creatures. Now we understand why he goes with the Doime, le Doime, wording of the Torah, and not the Gemara. Because he wants us to know the following things. Number one, he wants us to know, Aleph, that the word kol is not intended to expand the definition of creatures to include things that are in the species of snake or in the species of a scorpion, which may happen to include things that are not actually similar to each other. Now He wants to be clear that what's included in the pos over here is doime, things that are similar to a snake, meaning they move in a similar fashion on the ground, similar to a scorpion, which means they move on four legs. the Even a worm is different to a snake in many ways. As we've already mentioned, even the way that the worm starts to move on the ground is different to how the snake starts to move on the ground. There's only certain, and maybe even a tenuous connection between, or similarity between a worm and a snake. The similarity being that ultimately the snake actually does move along on its belly. Likewise, these uh, beetles, they're only kind of similar to scorpions. Not really like scorpions. Because they look similar to the scorpion in the fact that they walk mainly on four legs because their front two legs don't really operate as, as walking appendages. So because we're describing things that are similar to a snake but not really in many ways similar to a snake, similar to a scorpion but not in many ways similar to a scorpion, therefore it's possible that there might be other creatures that are similar to the worm or similar to the beetle that could be included too. As long as it has that, that very light connection, it also moves on its stomach, it also moves on four legs. Okay, expanding the, the, the definition to include them as well. So now we can understand why there's such a big difference in the way that Rashi explains those things that walk on their stomachs. And those things that walk on four legs on compared to that which has many, many legs. A centipede, for Rashi is which Rashi does not expand to include other species as well. Why? The possibility of moving on its stomach or on four legs. So it's only snakes, really, that represent moving on the belly and only um, scorpions that really represent, because remember, snakes is to bend down and move. And sna- scorpions are really the only ones that have four legs. On the five, and the is most of gachem arba so when the Torah now expands and says, but there are other things included, which is the meaning of the word kol, So then we have to say, uh, we can't just say it means that it means everything that walks on four legs or everything that walks on its stomach. Because there are no other things. There are no other creatures that bend down and go on their stomach. There are no other creatures that only walk on four in in the insect world. So therefore you have to say, kol can't just be literal. It must be including other things that have similarities. But when you're describing a creature that has many, 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 many legs, mervi more than four legs, So there are many creatures that actually have many legs, even though the exception of the centipede is that there's like really no space for other legs. It's completely full. So therefore, the truth is, anything with many legs means anything with many legs. Rashi doesn't have to explain it. The example is the centipede, but actually it refers to anything that has many legs. And Rashi doesn't have to interpret it because it's not so far-fetched. It's not so uncommon. And the only question we then have is So then, why does Rashi say it is the centipede? Because we've just said it could be many creatures that have many legs. He should have rather said, an example would be the centipede. The explanation for that is Because in the first two scenarios, Walking along on its belly or on four legs, main The explanation ein it's very clear over that, that the Torah is using a single example and then other related species. Nachash is the single example of Helech al The Akrav, the Scorpion, is the single example of Helech arba Uchanal Baruch, as we've explained extensively in the Sicha. So Rashi figures his Mestavah that it would make sense as Eichin diten fal Marber that when it comes to the third scenario, in the same Bosuk, when it describes ein Raglayim, the Torah would be consistent and say we're referring to one Main, sherets, the nodal, the centipede. On coal, maraber and then in addition to that, you got the word coal. That expands the definition to include all kinds of things that have many, many legs. Rashi doesn't have to explain what those things are. Because it's actually self explanatory. We've all seen insects, we know what they are. It's quite similar to the fact that the Torah very often says, and other things included in the species, it doesn't have to explain to us because we know what those things are. So, what can we learn from this? From a snake, a, sco- a scorpion, and a centipede? Well, mostly from the snake. Fundi and Hashem. There's a lesson of a in order for us to understand it. Let's first um, preface this. And the truth is, if you're looking from a spiritual perspective, we haven't resolved all of our questions because The fact of the matter is that the snake does move along its belly. The fact that it bends down onto the ground is only right at the beginning of each movement, but the movement itself is actually along its stomach. Why the Torah just keep it simple and say, the creature that moves on its stomach. And then, that would have included any creature that moves along its stomach, snake included. Why? And then we have to interpret that it also includes other things that move along their stomachs. Well, there's a spiritual reason because the Torah wants to teach us something about how we serve the Eberster. It's telling us how the Eberster works because Chazal tells us that the nachash is the Eberster. And there's Zog is warning us how the Yetzirah works. The Yetzirah doesn't arrive at our door one day and say, Listen, move along on your stomach. And you know, let's be down on the ground, a lowly being. Completely invested in hedonism. The first thing that the snake says is, Let's just bend the head a little bit. Zankop is Lower your head from its focus, from its, its higher aspirations. Bend yourself down. Which means to remove or to undermine this concept of looking upwards and aspiring to something beyond ourselves. Abados, their spirit, but when you start to bend your head, then that causes a. Soft, That's where it starts. It starts with the person just lowering their aspirations, lowering their standards, and the next thing they're completely invested in hedonism. Vichazal Zogan, as the famous Gemara tells us, here this is the skill of the Yetzara. Says, today let's do this, and tomorrow we'll do something else. Before you know it, he has the person serving idolatry. On the dem, and therefore, how does a person overcome the temptations of the snake as to be completely focused on things of a higher value to, which is generally torah that 's where the head should be much more specifically in the um, and and the esoteric parts of Torah that will prevent us from bending our head down and getting sucked into the world. And that's actually alluded to in the Pasuk itself, it's not just a philosophy. The masho explains that there's a saying in the Gemara, the fact that the original sages were called scribes is because they used to count every letter of the Torah, and so they knew exactly which letter is which, and therefore they identified that the vav of the letter Gochin is the midpoint of all the letters in the Torah. Now the letters of the Torah they are effectively codified versions of Hashem's names. Nister which is the hidden essence of Torah itself. And so, so Torah is, is these combinations of divine energy, Hashem's names. And then there's a barrier or an interference called the snake, which is the, the powers of impurity. And, and that, that impurity wants to kind of break into the middle of the letters of the Torah, almost like to derail the Torah. So, 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 what, what happens? You've got this Gochon, which represents the snake. So, we take the Vov in the middle of Gochon, we expand it out, so it's a bigger Vov, to make a statement. What you think is the power of impurity, the power of the snake the power of the letters of Torah, which is Hashem's energy, Hashem's names, breaks the snake in half. The gochah and the vob is in the middle. It breaks the tumah apart. So now this is really important, obviously, in our, in our spiritual development, to be able to break the stranglehold of the impurity of the nochash. The ultimate goal is not just to neutralize and break and dismantle the nochash and the powers of impurity but actually what we want to do is elevate and, 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 and refine the nachos we want to transform the nachos from being impurity to become holy like the, the chazal said the pasuk which says even your enemies make peace with you says the Gemara. that's what it refers to there's a snake the power of impurity should become our ally which means, first of all, we have to acknowledge that the snake is the enemy. The passage says it clearly in, in, in Bereshit, that the promises that there will be enmity always between the snake and between the humans. Nevertheless, the objective is that the snake becomes our ally, makes peace with us. That's the ultimate transformation and elevation of impurity. And the bitter for Nachash the klipper is how do we elevate? How do we transform? How do we refine the so-called snake of impurity? It's by alerting and revealing, alerting the snake and revealing to the world the spiritual source that the Nachash originates from. the principle That the Gemara tells us that even the Satan, who's there apparently ostensibly to derail our spirituality, the intention of the Satan is for a higher purpose to align with what Devishter wants. That's what we call the holy version of the snake. So how do you transform the negative snake to become positive? You have to expose the source, which is the spiritual, healthy, holy snake. This is Like Hasidus explains about the copper snake that Moshe Rabbeinu used in order to neutralize the venomous snakes that had attacked the Jewish people. What happens? The Torah tells us clearly any person who looked up at this copper snake that was on this pole would be healed. that says very clearly clearly that the purpose wasn't just to look at the snake, it was to get them to look higher, basically to acknowledge Hashem. But Chesidus explains, von nochash that it means when a person is able to focus on the spiritual holy source of the true purpose of the snake, the von nochash which is where the impure snake derives from, you know, it's the shame shamayim, that it's all for the Abish's intent, it is gevoren nochash that's what brings life in a place where previously there was venom and death. The transformation of the clipper to Gedusha. And that harmony and that peace between the high original purpose of the snake and the actual contaminated reality of the snake, the harmony between them is expressed in our Possek. The Tzemach Tzedek is The revisits this principle that the big Enlarged vav of the of the word Gochein is the centerpiece of letters of the Torah, and he says, "Vav de gochin chets and shall say for Torah. The fact that the vav of gochin is the center point of all the letters of the Torah, he explains as the vav rabasi from gochin is Miram is a so he explains that Vav represents, this enlarged Vav of the word gachin represents the element of tiferes, but specifically Viziz O'lad keser enlarged, which means it reaches beyond the system of Seh De'ishtal and plugs into Keser, which is a supreme power that is beyond all the rules of existence. That's why you have two parts of the Torah, and this is the pivot that can bring the two parts together the two parts of the Torah of Chesed two parts of Torah all the stories, all the laws. It's very much like midnight, which brings together the two opposing energies of the two segments of the night. The first part of the night which gets darker and is a representation of Gavura, and the second half of the night which moves towards dawn is a representation of Chesed. On the that's why it's this Vav that can break the stranglehold of impurity of the Itsahora of the interference of the so-called snake. From How does a Nochosh live? Because there's so much filtration and so much restraint of divine energy that completely diminishes the divine presence and allows the snake to exist. But when you can transcend the differences between Chesed and Gvura, right and left, and therefore you can harmonize them together, and the only way to do that is, which is through the element of Teferis here represented by the Vav of Gochoin, that cuts off the supply of oxygen to that rogue snake. So in the same way as that enlarged Vav brings together the two parts of the Torah, it also brings together the two disparate experiences of the snake. The poisonous, toxic snake of this world with a higher holy snake that it originates from. Because that principle of harmonizing the higher holy world and the lower unholy world the lotois, I mean, not like the uh, heretic who mistakenly once told Amemar in the Gemorrah, that your upper body is the property of the Holy Spirit, and your lower body is the property of the toxic spirit. We don't believe that. There's no distinction. You harmonize and you bring them together. So what affects that harmony? What brings them together? the the middle bar that is able to harmonize and to to bring the higher and the lower realities into a single space. And the that creates peace between the spiritual hosts and the physical world, which is so powerful and has such an impact that it actually expresses in the physical, physical toxic, venomous snake that it has a spiritual purpose and a spiritual source. And that harmony, which will completely remove any danger and any negativity and any impurity from the world, that will be revealed in the time of Mashiach. We know that Mashiach is associated and called the snake. It's the same gematria. Mashiach is the same gematria as the word snake. So Mashiach will be able to create that absolute harmony and peace which will happen immediately.